hopefully you received uh, or, or saw in your seat as you first came in and were seated, uh, a little card uh, like this that says, who's your one? And there's a line and don't do anything with that yet. We'll talk about that later. Okay. But hopefully you have that and get it ready and you'll need a pen probably later on uh, in, our, in our time of worship this morning. Well, so far this month, and this is the last Sunday of this month, we have been looking at the mission and vision of our church. Our, our mission, uh, which is that thing that we uh, feel that God has called us as a church to do, uh, that, that goal to pursue, that uh, point on the horizon we are steadfastly marching toward. Our mission is there on the front of your worship, God. Our mission statement is this, that First Baptist West Albuquerque exists to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit. We know that this is what God has called us to do. And, and really, in many ways, what God has called every uh, uh, gospel-believing, Jesus-loving, uh, 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 God-glorifying church to do is to glorify him by making disciples of Jesus. And we, we have not just this mission, but also a vision that goes along with it. And we've been saying over the last couple of weeks that a vision statement is not the same as a mission, although they kind of work hand in hand. Mission statement gives us that point on the horizon that we as a church are, are moving toward consistently and, and cooperatively as members of this church. And of our vision statement gives us a picture of, of first of all, what we'll look like when, when we get there. As we pursue this mission of glorifying God by making disciples, our vision gives us a picture of what we'll look like along the way, what we'll grow into along the way. And it also helps to set guardrails for us so that we're not veering into maybe ministries or, or, uh, or other activities as a church body that take us away from or distract us from the mission that God has given to us. Our mission is that we glorify, we exist to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. And our vision for making disciples, our vision for glorifying God by making disciples is to make Followers of Jesus who know Christ as Lord through his word. That's the first aspect of it. We also make disciples who grow with one another in maturity and obedience to Jesus. That's the second aspect of our vision. Know, grow, and who knows the last one? Go. Someone's been listening or reading signs some along the way. You guys are fantastic. The last aspect of our vision is we make disciples who go, who go to our neighbors and to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21, where, where Paul is reminding the church who they are and what they've been commissioned to do as disciples of Jesus, I would pray that, that we would, uh, as a church, commit this year, commit this year to going with the gospel, right? to, to physically, actively, verbally taking the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus to someone this year. Yeah. Commit to it. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 21. Will you stand with me as we honor God by reading from his word? The Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth, he says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. 
God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We read in these verses Paul describing to the church in Corinth what, is, what it is that God is doing, how God is reconciling people to himself, and in being reconciled to God, how God then makes those who are followers of Christ, disciples of Jesus, how he makes them into his ambassadors to share the gospel with the world. Our vision says that we will make disciples and that we will be disciples who go to our neighbors and to the nations with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To share the gospel with people who don't yet know Christ, maybe the way that we do, as Savior, as Lord, having placed faith in him for the forgiveness of our sins and a right relationship with God. There are several things about the gospel and how we share the gospel that are important for us and for our our vision as a church as being those who go with the gospel that are evident to us here in this text this morning. First of all, this, we recognize, we see from Paul's words that we share the gospel of radical transformation. We share a gospel of radical transformation and the gospel transforms radically in at least three ways. We share a gospel of radical transformation of perspective. The gospel changes the way that we see things. It changes the way we see the world. When we come to be saved by Christ through faith in him, our perspective, our vantage point on the world is dramatically changed. Paul says that we are transformed from regarding Christ and others from the perspective of the flesh. That is uh, from the perspective of, of just the world and how how. People who do not yet know Christ see the world. We go from seeing the world according to the perspective of the flesh to something else, to something different. Dare I say, to something better. When we receive Christ as Lord, we're made to see the world, not through the patterns of the world or the ways of the world or through the influence even of sin in our own hearts or in the world. But we then now see everything around us by faith in Jesus through the better and true perspective of faith. We begin to, as we give our lives to Christ as Lord, he changes the way that we see everything. And so we see, we we don't any longer see things uh, according to uh, uh, physical uh, appearances. We know that there's more to this world than just the material. We, We know that there are spiritual realities that play in the world around us. And when we come to faith in Christ as Lord and Savior, when we come to trust the true gospel, God gives us new eyes through which to see the world, to see spiritual realities, to recognize that what What may seem in somebody's life to be the greatest need that they have, a physical need of maybe food or water or shelter or friendship or something like that, God enables us to see that as as pressing as those needs may be, they are not still their greatest need. That their greatest need is to have their sin dealt with, to have their sins forgiven. We go uh, from... Uh, uh, seeing the world according to the patterns of the world, the pattern of the flesh, as Paul says, to seeing the world through Christ's eyes. We share this gospel of radical transformation of perspective, this gospel that calls people to receive a, a total transformation of the way that they see everything around them, the way they see the world, the way they see, see truth, the way they see sin, even the way that they see one another. And most especially, this gospel that we preach of radical transformation of perspective challenges people to change 
changed, to transform or to have transformed, especially their picture, their, their uh, 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 vision of Jesus himself. We share a gospel of radical transformation of perspective. Paul says, therefore, now we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, once we looked on Christ through the patterns of the world, through, through just the patterns of our, our sinful thinking, we do so no longer. We also share the gospel of radical transformation of nature. We share a gospel of radical transformation of nature, of, of who we are as human beings. Look at verse 17. There Paul says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Many of you amen that when we read it out loud earlier. Praise God, because you know what Paul's talking about. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul reminds us here, if anyone is in Christ, that means if you have trusted Christ as Lord, Savior, you, you, are, you are trusting his death on the cross to bring you forgiveness of your sins and his resurrection from the dead to make you right with God then you have gone from being dead in sin to alive in Christ. You have gone from being slaves to sin to servants of God's righteousness. You know that if by through faith, you know that through faith in Jesus, your nature has been transformed. The gospel tells us that by believing on Jesus, we are born again by the spirit of God. Behold, the old has passed, the new has come. Friends, we share this gospel of radical transformation of nature that calls people to respond to the call of the Holy Spirit to repent of their sins, to turn from their sins, to give up living life on their own terms and for their own purposes, and to believe on the Son of God, Jesus Christ, that they may be forgiven of their sin and live, that they might go from death to life, that they might go from being a, a slave to sin to now a child of God. We share a gospel of radical transformation of nature. This is a beautiful thing. But thirdly, we also share a gospel of radical transformation of relationship. We share a gospel of, of radical transformation with regard to our relationships. The word Paul uses again and again in this passage is that word reconciliation. This is a word that means the reestablishment of proper friendly relations between offended and offending parties putting things right where there once was a conflict. Reconciliation is making peace, and it's, it's a removal of, of separation between parties in conflict. The relationship that experiences reconciliation here in this text is not relationship between one another primarily, but our relationship to God. This is the truth of Scripture, that all of us by our, our sin, by our, our willing rebellion against God, have separated ourselves from Him. We have infinitely offended his infinitely holy character. There's reconciliation that needs to happen. But this is reconciliation that, that, that we cannot accomplish on our own. This is a, a gap that we have created that we in our own efforts cannot mend. We need someone else to fix that for us. And this is what Paul is showing us. Through Jesus Christ, through his death in our place on the cross, by faith in him, we are made at peace with God. We, the offending parties, have been made right with the offended. And not of our own efforts, but, but through the efforts of God whom we have offended. We have not only been made at peace with God, but we've also been made to be his sons, to be his children. On the screen behind me, you'll see Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 17. There Paul says, 
to the church in Rome, you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. What Paul is saying is when you trust in Jesus, you are given a a spirit, but it's not a spirit of fear. You're given the Holy Spirit, the very third person of the triune God to live in you. It's a spirit of adoption as sons who calls us, who allows us, excuse me, to call on God as father in the most intimate of terms. In verse 16, Paul continues, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. As a staff, we meet every Tuesday. And as part of our staff meeting, we're reading through a book by a wonderful Christian man and thinker, J.I. Packer. The book is called Knowing God. And we read this last week, a chapter called Sons of God. And and in it, J.I. Packer unpacks, no pun intended, the, the doctrine of adoption what it means that God adopts us as his children. And what that, what that means is everyone who, who is ever born at any time in the world is not born a child of God. I know I just offended so many of you this morning. When you came out of your mother's womb, you were not immediately a child of God. Scripture tells us, we read it in Ephesians chapter two this morning as we prayed together. We were by nature children of wrath, not children of God. Right? We, we were objects of God's righteous anger, righteous judgment against our sin. But the wonderful truth of the gospel is that God does not immediately pour out all of his wrath upon we who are sinners, but, but he waits in patience as he provides for us a way of escape from his wrath through Jesus. But God being rich in mercy because of the love with which he loved us, right? Paul continues in Ephesians 2, caused us to be made alive together with Christ. By faith, by grace we have been saved through faith. This not of ourselves, it's a gift of God so that no one can boast. We share a gospel, dear friends, of radical transformation of relationship. We go from relating to God as sinners, as, as those who are rightfully under his judgment and wrath, to being those who, who relate to God, not as strangers, not as sinners, but, but, and not even as those who are in his good graces. But now, by faith in Christ, we relate to God as children. See how great the love of God is to overcome our sin, to bring us in, into reconciliation with him. In all of these ways, the gospel that we know and believe, the gospel that we are commanded to preach, works marvelous and miraculous uh, transformations in those who believe it. When you trust the gospel, all of your life changes. When you give your life and faith to Jesus Christ, all of your life changes. Your perspective on the world changes. Your relationships with other people change. And your very nature itself is changed. This gospel of forgiveness of sins through repentance and faith in Christ is powerful, friends, very powerful, extremely powerful. All of the power of God is bound up in this. Romans chapter one, verses 16 and 17 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, Paul says, because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. The gospel is powerful, but friends, we know that it is not always attractive. It's not always attractive. The gospel offends our sinful sensibilities. The gospel offends our sinful preferences. The gospel offends the the sin that we have all committed of placing ourselves in the place of rulership, of authority in our lives. Many have over 
over centuries recognized that the gospel is not always attractive. And they've sought to make the gospel a message that is somehow less radical, less spiritual, less focused on sin and our need for redemption. And in so doing, in trying to make the gospel more attractive, they have created other gospels that are not only non-transformative, but other gospels that are eternally damning for those who believe them. Any gospel that is not the true gospel is a false gospel. And your faith in any gospel that is not the gospel of scripture is not enough to save you. So dear friends, as we recognize that we we are called by God, gifted by God, commanded by God to share the gospel of radical transformation, we must then be careful. We must be careful not to diminish the gospel by trying to make it more attractive. This is a beautiful gospel. This is a powerful gospel. This, this good news of how God saves us from sin. You're awake now, right? How God saves us from sin is beautiful and powerful, but it's not always attractive to us who want to have things our way. But we've got to be careful. We who have believed the true gospel, not to diminish the gospel, not to make it a false gospel by somehow trying to make it more attractive. You have in your worship guide this morning, I think nine attractive but false gospels that we ought to avoid. Attractive but false gospels that we ought to avoid. First, there's the, what some have called or, or, or coined the therapeutic gospel. The therapeutic gospel, notice none of these are the biblical gospel, okay? The therapeutic gospel tells us that sin robs us of our sense of fullness. Christ's death then on the cross proves our worth as humans, and it gives us power to reach our potential. The purpose of the church then is to help us to find happiness. That's what the therapeutic gospel says. You ever heard that in your life? Formalist gospel. A formalist gospel says that sin is failing to keep church rules and regulations. Sin is failing to check all the boxes on Sunday. Instead, Christ's death gives us an agenda. It gives us all the boxes to tick so that we, begin to follow, we can begin to follow the pre-described forms of Christianity. The formalist gospel says, you are, you are not right with God because you haven't ticked all the boxes. So here are all the boxes that you need to tick, okay? Now, now get about checking them. Also false. Third, the moralist gospel. We like this one. The moralist gospel says our big problem is sins, plural, individual sinful actions, not sin, nature. The moralist gospel says that the purpose for Christ's death is to give us a second chance. We're just going to help you out a little bit, people, and to make us better people. Redemption, salvation comes through the exercise of willpower with God's help. That ought to grate against what we know to be true. Our biggest problem is, is not the, the way that we struggle day by day. Not, our biggest problem is not maybe the, the curse word we let fly in the car yesterday when somebody cut us off on the freeway. That not, that not me, that's just a hypothetical. I'm serious, I didn't cuss on the freeway yesterday. That's not our problem. Letting a bad word slip while you're driving, that's not your problem. Your problem is you have a heart that causes you to react to being cut off on the freeway by letting out a curse word. By having hatred, by having anger in your heart against the person who cut you off. Your problem is not the four-letter word that that, that slipped out of your mouth. Your problem is you've got a heart that is black and rotten and wicked within you that leads you to respond to things that way. There's a judgmentless gospel, which is also false. A judgmentless gospel says that God's forgiveness does not need to come through the sacrifice of his son. 
Judgment is more about God's goodness, not the need for human rebellion to be punished. And so because of this, evangelism is not urgent. There's also a social club gospel. The social club gospel says that salvation is all about finding fellowship and friendship at church by having a community of like-minded people around me that I can talk to. The gospel then is reduced to Christian relationships that help us to enjoy life. Friends, God does save us by faith in Christ to make us a part of a community, to bring us together as the people of God, but not just so that we can have people to play Chinese checkers with, all right? There's an activist gospel, which says it's a false gospel that says the kingdom is advanced through our efforts to build a just society. The gospel's power is demonstrated in the activist gospel through cultural transformation, and the church is united around political causes and social projects. God does not save us to become a member of this or that political party. There's a churchless gospel that is a false gospel. On the one hand, you have the social gospel that says salvation is all about the church and being a, being a member of the church. Dear friends, I know people who trust their church membership for salvation far more than they trust the risen Lord Jesus. That's the social, that's the, the social club gospel. But there's also a church-less gospel, which is the, the flip side of that, the extreme in the opposite direction that says the focus of salvation is only about me. It's just about my individual experience with God in a way that makes the community of faith peripheral, unnecessary to God's purposes. The church doesn't matter. I've got my relationship with Jesus. The church then is viewed as an option to personal spirituality or even an obstacle to Christ-likeness. I tell you what, I would go to church if those Christians would just get their act together so that I wouldn't be tempted to be so unchristian while I'm there. There's a mystic gospel that is a false gospel. The mystic gospel says salvation comes through an emotional experience with God. The church is there to help me feel close to God by helping me along in my pursuit of this mystical union. I receive salvation when I feel good about the thoughts that I have about God. It's a common refrain among some people today in the political discourse to say, facts don't care about your feelings. And that's true with the gospel too. The facts of the gospel, that you must place faith in Christ for salvation, don't care about your feelings. I don't, it doesn't matter how you feel about the gospel. What matters is what is true. We know that our feelings cannot be trusted. Jeremiah 17, 9 says that the heart of man is wicked and deceitful, terribly sick. Who can trust it? Our feelings deceive us all the time. So if you're trusting your feelings for your relationship with God or be right with God, you've missed it. We need to trust the facts of the gospel, the person of Jesus Christ, crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. There's finally ninth, a quietist gospel that is another false gospel. The quietist gospel is the opposite side of the activist gospel. The quietist gospel says salvation is about spiritual things, not secular matters. Christianity is only about individual life change and it's not concerned with society and politics. Friends, we know that we have been called to be uh, ambassadors for Christ, ministers, messengers of reconciliation. We are to speak into the world about things that are not right, things that do not comport with, with God's holiness. We are called to bring about change in the lives of other people around us, but first and foremost through proclaiming the gospel, inviting people to believe it. 
But the gospel does impact the way we live and the way that we act, the way that we comport ourselves in society. It is not enough to trust Jesus and then seclude yourself in a Christian bubble so that you can remain unstained from the world. That's not what scripture calls us to do. We're to be in the world, but not of the world. We are Christ's ambassadors. We are missionaries on mission with the gospel to a world that is lost and broken and dark and without Christ. We share a gospel of radical transformation. But we see also, as Paul mentions here, that we share the gospel as God's representatives. We share the gospel as God's representatives. When you tell someone else how they can be saved, how they can have their sins forgiven and be made right with God through faith in Jesus, you are acting as God's representative. All of the awesome and wonderful and radical transformations that are worked in us as we receive the gospel and as we believe in Christ, Paul says in verse 18, are done by God. You see that? All this is from God. So if ever you're tempted to think you ever did anything to save yourself, just read 2 Corinthians 5.18. All this is from God. Paul says, who has gone about, God has gone about setting the world right in Christ and making peace with us through Christ. But now, having been reconciled to God, having been made uh, to be in right relationship with God again, we find that God gives us a task. And that task is both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. He says in verse, uh, Paul says in verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry, the service of reconciliation. That is, verse 19, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting the trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message, the words, the, the storyline of reconciliation. Church, this is the wonder of the gospel and of the Christian life, that God takes wretched sinners like me, and by the death and resurrection of his own son in my place and in your place, makes traitors to God's holiness like me to be his sons. And then he, he gives to us the responsibility and the privilege of being his elected messengers to the rest of the unreconciled world with the good news that we have come to know. God takes enemies, makes them more than friends. He makes them sons, and then he gives them a, a task, a job to complete, which is to tell the rest of the world how we ourselves went from being traitors to being sons of God. This certainly does not mean that we're able to cause someone else to be saved or to be made right with God. In as much as you're not able to save yourself, you, you surely cannot save someone else. Only God does and only God can do that. But we are called and we are saved to serve God's purposes of his grace to forgive and to rescue the lost from their sin. We are, call, we are saved and called to call others to be saved. We as followers of Christ are the king's messengers is what Paul is saying. His official representatives to the world, as Paul puts it, Christ's ambassadors, through whom God calls all people to radical transformation from spiritual death to life through faith in Jesus. What an awesome privilege and responsibility. Knowing that we share the gospel as God's representatives, we must embrace the privilege and responsibility of being Christ's ambassadors. We must embrace it. Let's wrap our arms around this responsibility and, and, and internalize it. Know that what God has saved and called us to do is not really optional for the Christian. But knowing what God has made us to be, moving forward with, with all of the energy and enthusiasm that we, can, that, that, that we have by, by faith in God and the power of the Holy Spirit to do what God has saved us to do. We must embrace the privilege of being Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors, global uh, uh, political 
ambassadors play a, a serious role in uh, uh, intercontinental and, um, and international relations today. The President of the United States has the, uh, has the responsibility of appointing and assigning ambassadors of the United States to different countries. And maybe the, the, the highest ranking ambassador, if you could rank them that way, would be the one who serves to the United Nations. The ambassador to the United Nations is a, is a chosen representative of the United States to all of the other chosen representatives of every other sovereign nation in the world. To, to go and to represent the 360 some odd million Americans that, that they are being a voice for. To say, these are the priorities for our nation. These are the things that we care about. These are things in the rest of the world that we are concerned about and willing to act on if, if, other, uh, if other things don't, don't begin to fall into place. This is who we are as a nation world, and I am the representative of those who, 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 have, who are entrusting me to be their representative. I've never seen on television in all of my years in the swearing-in ceremonies of these ambassadors any single ambassador to the United Nations or any other country around the world that has not taken that privilege and responsibility to heart. I think every one of them recognizes what it means to be the voice of 360 million people to other countries of the world. Ooh, what a responsibility. But all that they are responsible with is to be a voice of, of one political nation. One nation that is uh, uh, gathered together and, and united as a constitutional republic, and there are many other nations that, that, that uh, found themselves in different ways. We're just kind of one, that ambassador is one voice among many of different ways that people have sought to govern themselves in the world. But friends, we are, as followers of Christ, we are Christ's ambassadors. Those that God has chosen and said, you will be my representative in this world. You go into this world. You have been united to me by faith in Christ and speak on my behalf. Represent me to the world. Tell the world of my interests. Tell the world of my love for them. Tell the world of their sin and their need for redemption. By the way, a need for which I have, I have already paid the price. You go, Scott, and you tell the world about who God is, God is saying to you, about who I am. You go, Aaron, and you, you tell the world about who Christ is and what he's done for you. You go into the world, Greg and Gloria, and you tell the world about who Christ is and what he has done for you. You are his ambassadors. Mike, Don, Jim, Martha, Georgie, Stephen, Lucy. We are Christ's ambassadors. Call, saved by God and called by him to share the gospel as his representatives. This is a great privilege and responsibility. Let us not squander it. Let us embrace it. Third and finally, Paul shows us that we share the gospel from a holy motivation. We share a gospel of radical transformation. We share the gospel as God's representatives. And finally, we share the gospel from a holy motivation. Verse 21 of our text this morning says this, for our sake, God made him, Christ, God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This verse of our passage today describes for us what is at the same time the beautiful truth of Christ's work on the cross and the very motivation for our gospel sharing. This is both the truth of Christ's death on the cross, what he does on the cross and in his resurrection for us, and it is the motivation for sharing with others about who Christ is. This verse describes what many have called the great exchange. Maybe you've heard that term before. 
Christ's righteousness in exchange for our sin. This, brothers and sisters, is the very heart of the gospel. In fact, without the great exchange, there is no gospel. We have already seen this morning that salvation is spoken here in terms of reconciliation. Offended, offended and offending parties being made right. And reconciliation is needed. It is necessary between us and God for God's very nature demands righteousness for relationship with him. Our problem, though, is that we have no righteousness. Our problem is that all we have is sin. As Pastor Danny said earlier this morning, all we have, even on our best days, even in our good deeds, is sin. That is all we have to offer God. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, we read it this morning, we prayed it this morning, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Because our trespasses and sins are the fruit of souls that are spiritually dead and that chase after unrighteousness. And in our spiritual deadness, we were by our very nature, Paul says, children of wrath, the, the just recipients of God's righteous indignation. Yet we who are utterly sinful must have righteousness to be reconciled to a righteous God. So friends, how can this be? Who can be saved? If God, who is infinitely righteous, demands infinite and perfect righteousness from us, his creatures, to be in relationship with him, but if we have not righteousness but only have sin, how can we be saved? This is where the great exchange takes place. Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, miraculously and supernaturally adds humanity to his own existence, being born from the Virgin Mary, becoming human like us. This Jesus lived some 30 or more years without ever having sinned. When all we had was sin, all we have is sin, all Christ had was righteousness. So that all of his perfect and infinite righteousness as God in flesh remains perfectly intact. All his life, having never sinned, Jesus, the Son of God, God with skin on, maintains perfect and infinite righteousness, even as a human being. And then Jesus, this perfectly righteous Jesus, is put to death on a Roman cross as a sacrifice not only for our sinful actions, but for our very sinful nature. And there, in the miracle of God's justice and mercy, God the Father places upon the shoulders of his Son all of his righteous indignation for our sin. And Jesus dies. He dies bearing the penalty of our sin-filled hearts. But this, dear friends, is only half of the exchange. For just as Christ becomes sin for us, and dies the death we deserve, when we place our, our faith in him for our righteousness, he dresses us, not in a little bit of righteousness, but in his infinite righteousness. Yeah, the end result being this, that the source of our enmity with God, the, our sin, not just our sinful acts, but our sinful nature, that nasty, broken, black, wicked, dead heart that is inside of you is removed and replaced with a heart of flesh, filled by the Holy Spirit, filled with perfect righteousness because of what Christ has done. And more than mere forgiveness, we receive all the benefits of being a child of God. More than just having your sins taken care of, God goes a step further and makes you his son, makes you his daughter. Who is this God? Dear friends, this is reconciliation. Christ's righteousness for your sin. That you might be clothed in his perfection. 
It is this great truth and work of God in Christ that we have been saved by God to serve, to, to, to serve needy sinners like us. This is the message of reconciliation that Christ has died for sin and given us his righteousness. And this is the ministry of reconciliation that we tell other people who need to hear this good news. It is this message of traitors to God now adopted as as his sons through faith in the crucified and risen son of God that we have the blessed privilege to tell. And it is the very truth of the gospel that Jesus, the son of God, puts all of his righteousness on us and takes all of our righteousness, all of our sin and puts it on himself. That is at the core of this beautiful message that we preach. And that truth motivates us. If you're not excited If you're not moved, if you're not motivated to share this wonderful news with people who don't know it yet, brother, sister, check your heart. Because because good theology, truth from scripture moves us to action. Hearts that have been united to God by faith in Christ want to do what God has given us to do. The truth compels us. The great exchange Christ's righteousness for our sin as the heart of the true gospel, then, dear friends, it corrects all those other attempts to make the gospel more attractive. The truth of the gospel that Jesus gives all of his righteousness for all of our sin corrects all of the other false gospels we've seen this morning. It corrects the therapeutic gospel and says, no, therapeutic gospel, sin robs us actually not of our sense of fullness, but it removes us from relationship to God. And Christ's death proves God's love for sinners as he pays the just penalty for our sin. The true gospel says that the church then helps us to walk in the light of truth that in Christ our greatest need of reconciliation has been supplied. The true gospel says to the formalist gospel that in fact sin is treason against God's holy character. Christ's death though has freed you from the gallows of your own creation to make you no longer a slave to sin, but a son of God. You are saved by grace through faith to live in the freedom of the righteousness that God supplies. The true gospel corrects the moralist gospel. It says that our greatest problem is is that we are born sinners. The purpose of Christ's death is then to rescue us from the death that our sin nature deserves. The true gospel says that salvation comes only through trusting Christ who has paid the price of our redemption. The true gospel corrects the judgmentless gospel and says that if God does not judge sin, then he is an unjust and a wicked God. Though we each are rightful recipients of his his judgment, his own son Jesus has stood in our place on the cross to endure the fullness of God's holy wrath against us. God does judge sin, but for the one who is in Christ, your sins have been judged in him. He has taken your place on the gallows. He has taken your place in the defendant's box. He has taken your place in the prison cell. He has taken your place in in the executioner's chair. Jesus is judged in our place and by faith in him, we are saved from the wrath of God because everyone then is by nature a child of God's wrath. Evangelism is the, uh, of the lost is of the utmost urgency because God does judge sin. We must share this message of reconciliation. The true gospel corrects the social club gospel. It says that salvation is not about having friends in church. Salvation is about being reconciled to God and adopted as his children. The church then is the body and the bride of Christ joined to one another by faith in Jesus to be his ambassadors of the gospel in word and in deed in this world. The true gospel corrects the activist gospel. I got a few more, so hold on. The kingdom of God 
the true gospel says, is advanced by the power of the spirit and the preaching of the gospel, not by putting food in people's bellies and water in their throats to drink. The kingdom of God is advanced by the power of the spirit and the preaching of the gospel. The gospel's power is demonstrated in the miracle of repentance and faith in Christ in every person who is born again. So go change the world, preach the gospel. The true gospel says to the churchless gospel, God saves individuals by faith in Christ to be a people for his glory. The gospel reconciles us not only to God, but to one another by faith in Christ. The church is necessary, the true gospel says, for the growth of the individual by the investment of the body. We need one another as we walk by faith in Jesus. The true gospel says to the mystic gospel, those who trust their feelings more than the facts. The true gospel says salvation comes by faith in the real and bodily death of Christ for our sins and his resurrection for our reconciliation. The true gospel says that the church must remind one another that the way we feel about God does not determine our salvation and that our spiritual life is far deeper than emotions that wax and wane with time. The true gospel salvation is rooted in facts and faith that remain even in spite of emotional changes. Finally, the true gospel says to the quietest gospel, salvation really does have real implication for our lives. The joy that we have in being set free from sin moves us to compel others to know this freedom as well. Knowing Christ does not compel us to live in a fishbowl, but to be out in the ocean of lostness as ambassadors for Christ. Being then clothed in Christ's righteousness leads us to pursue and to promote in the world that which God says is righteous in his word. This message, this beautiful, true gospel of the great exchange, Christ's righteousness for our sin, that he might take his sin and give us his righteousness, is itself the motivation for our gospel sharing. It is our motivation because by faith in Jesus, this message has changed our personal relationship to God. It has transformed not only how we see the world, not only who we are as human beings and what we are as human beings, but it has made us right with God as well. This message, the true gospel of reconciliation is our motivation because we who declare the way of reconciliation with God are ourselves already reconciled to God by it. Awesome. About to like, Throw something because I'm so excited. The gospel itself is our motivation to share the gospel. That sounds redundant and cyclical, doesn't it? I'm raving like a madman, but this seems to be true from God's word. That the gospel, praise God, if I'm crazy in the Lord, praise God. The gospel that saves us is the gospel that moves us. The gospel that changed us is the the gospel that takes us to people who don't yet know it yet. The gospel that brought us from death to life is the gospel that excites us to say to other people, you're dead in your sins, but I got good news. God himself has done so much to save you. He has done the one thing to, to not just take care of your sin problem. He, he, he does that in Christ when you trust him, but he makes you a son of his. He adopts you into his family. What a loving God this is. What an awesome God this is. And this is the God that I know, the God who has changed my life, the God who is changing my perspective, the God who has changed my nature, the God who has changed my very relationship to him. And you gotta know him. So here's the challenge. We have a challenge every week of this month. Our final challenge, my final challenge to us, not to you, but to us, is this. 
Knowing that we, catch my breath, friends. Knowing that we exist to glorify God by making disciples of the power of the Holy Spirit and that we intend to be disciples who know Christ as Lord through his word. We will be disciples who are growing alongside and with the help of one another in Christian maturity and knowing that we are uh, disciples of Jesus who will go into the world to our neighbors and to the nations with the gospel. Here's my final challenge to you this month as we look at our mission for the year ahead. Commit to share. Not an attractive gospel, but commit to share the true gospel with one named person in 2019 and invite them, not to church, although maybe later, but invite them to trust Jesus. Commit today to share the true gospel with one named person. We all know one person, friend, family member, neighbor, coworker, someone that is in our minds right now who does not know the gospel the way we know it who has not trusted Jesus as Savior the way that we have, who needs to hear the gospel this year. We all have one. We all know who it is. This is where your cards come into play. I want you, I'm, I'm inviting you to embrace this challenge this year with me. And this card says, who's your one? We all know one. We all know one. One that maybe we've been praying for for a long time. Maybe one that God has placed on our, on our hearts and, and, and has convicted us or challenged us to share the gospel with, but we have not yet. We all know one that we have not shared the gospel with yet that we know desperately needs it. We've got someone do the quick math. However many days are left in the year. 365 minus what's today? 27. So 30 is 345 plus 3. 348 days. Someone will correct me later. 348 days to share the gospel with one person. The true gospel. We've talked about it this morning. Dear friends, we talk about it every single Sunday. If you need a reminder of what the gospel is, you show up to worship on Sunday morning, you're going to hear it, or just flip on the back of this card. And there's a little summary outline of what the gospel is. Make 2019 the year. We all have excuses. We all know it's challenging. I have plenty of excuses myself, but let us make 2019 the year that we share the true gospel with that one with that one and that we invite them to trust Jesus. In a moment, I'm going to pray and the worship team is going to come and lead us in a song of response this morning. Would you take that time as we're responding? Maybe some of you have already filled out that name. You already know who it is. Before I ever told you what we were going to do with this, you know what it is already about and you already had that person's name on there. You've been praying for them already throughout our service this morning, but maybe some of you are still working on that one and who that name is. Take this time during our song of response this morning to write that name on there, to pray for that person right now and ask God, God, help me to glorify you by making disciples of Jesus this year, by sharing with this one the beautiful gospel of reconciliation of which you have made me a messenger. Dear friend, during our time of response this morning, you, you may, through time sitting through this sermon today, Realize that you don't yet trust Jesus the way that I'm talking about. You've not yet placed your faith in Christ as Savior and Lord. You've not yet had your sin problem dealt with, but you want to today. You want not only to have your sins forgiven, but you want to be a son of God. You want to live the kind of abundant life, both now and in eternity, that God intends for you to have. This morning, I I would just ask you to respond in faith today. Turn from your sin 
Turn to Jesus as Lord. Place all of your life, all the trust of your life in him today. I'll be standing here at the front. Corey, our student minister, will be standing with me. We would love to talk with you today about how you can be reconciled to God and be made one of his ambassadors with us. Friends, let today, dear friend, let today be the day of salvation for you. And my Christian brothers and sisters, my, my, my fellow church members, let's take the challenge. 340 some odd days to share the gospel with one person and invite them to follow Jesus. I've got a name. I haven't written it down. I'm gonna write it down here in just a second. I'm gonna be praying for that person. I'm gonna be praying for you and for the people that you have. And in the weeks to come, we're gonna have some ways to track our conversations with people and the progress, the work that God is doing uh, uh, through us as a church. And so I'm very excited about celebrating what God will do as we embrace our role as his ambassadors with the holy motivation of sharing the gospel that is the very gospel that has changed us ourselves.